Yes, uh, many of you were probably here to hear me and my wife speak last year as we were uh, just getting ready to uh, move to Brazil, and we did that about two months after that in the beginning of September. And so a lot has happened since then, and uh, Victoria and I are hopefully going to be bringing you up to date on that. And that's uh, what we're going to try and focus on a lot is a lot of the changes that have happened in the last year or over the last two years. So uh, just kind of run through the slides here. Uh, but uh, I assume most of you are familiar with CLM. And as you saw from the first slide, we do have cold in, C in Brazil. And that comes as a shock to many people. But there was heavy frost four or five days this year. So uh, CLM has uh, two children's homes. We have two campuses, one in Entrejillos, which was founded in 1973. It's our main campus and uh, is the, our headquarters. We will, uh, as we reopen to our which we'll be spoke, uh, speaking about it a little later. Uh, the goal is never for Torvo to be an exact uh, replica of Entrejillos. There are many, many uh, expenses that we have in Entrejillos that we don't feel the need to duplicate. So all administration will be handled through Entrejillos and uh, most facility type of uh, services and anything of that sort. And in Torvo, the goal is only to focus on child care and try and keep the overhead down. Uh, Torvo was dedicated in 2006 and each building has a capacity for 35 children. And we're staffed by missionaries who are Brazilians, Americans, and Hungarians, although our Hungarian staff just got decreased by 50%. <laughs> and then uh, here's all the missionaries who are there. Mary Gibson, who is the current director. Victoria Fulop, who is here and is getting ready to leave now. Bethany and uh, her husband Juan, which some people here know, <laughs> and Jake and Amanda, who other people know. And we have Fabio and Edit. Here's the other 50% of our Hungarian population. And uh, their son Tobias, who was just born uh, about a month ago, I believe. He is. Uh, actually from the local church in, in Trujillos and grew up in that church. His father, I believe, is an elder. And Andy and Katie Ross and Joseph, who are both from my home church of Tremont, and they, uh, they arrived, they actually started working the same time as me. So in September, we started about two weeks apart from each other. They were there six months earlier, but were in language training. And then there, here's uh, uh, me and my family. And Vanessa Santos, who just started last year as well. And her father was the pastor of the church in Guadapuava. So many people were connected with him. Okay, here's our mission statement through the power of God. <coughs> And uh, we just want to talk a lot about the past year's events is what we're going to focus on here. Because there's significant things that happened, but this five-sibling group came. 
um, was, uh, were transferred there as part of a plan that we are doing with uh, the judge. The, uh, basically, the, where it sits in, the U, uh, in Brazil right now is that Brazil has decided they do not want to work with large group homes anymore. They're going in the direction of focusing on foster care, this much the same way that the U.S. does. However, there are certain kids who do not fit into foster families, and that's where the judge wants us to come in. Now, we, they want us to focus primarily on large groups of siblings, as we always have in some ways, but specifically kids that do not have a very great chance of being adopted or being placed in a foster family. Um, we all can agree that children were not created to be raised in institutions, they were be created to be raised in families, and the, the closer you are to a family, the better off you're going to be. That's where foster care comes into that. And, um, but in that case, if they are not able to, then we need to try and provide for them the close, the, an environment, a long-term environment with the security that they are able to grow. And so that's, uh, that's what our need is as declared by the judge. That's what our, our our mission needs to be is to fulfill a role that the Brazilian government is incapable of fulfilling, and that is handling large sibling groups. Okay, there's one of the girls from CLM who got married this year. This was a fundraiser that uh, Fabio and Edit did to try and raise funding locally to help support them. And Mary celebrated 30 years at CLM. And have some needs. I guess we need to talk a little, uh, now is as ideal of a time as uh, ever to talk about Tourville. Um, basically, in uh, around October or November, I was asked to become more heavily involved with CLM Tourville and to start making weekly visits to the site and establishing contact with Luis and Anina, who were the administrators there, um, finding out what were the, the issues there and preparing for uh, preparing for that. And uh, in doing so, we found uh, many problems. Many of them, I guess, people already knew were there, but uh, many issues that we needed to deal with. And um, because of many of those issues, about two months ago, we closed down the home temporarily. And so in one day, we went and um, Mary and Fabio and I went and we met with Luis and Nina and removed them as the administrators of the home um, and moved all of the kids who are in that home to the Entry Heos facility in one day. Um, they, uh, these issues did not really come about with them. They have worked with CLM for 22 years. They did not come about as they were working as missionaries there because when they were under direct supervision of other people, they, nobody has really said a single bad word against them. They were very, very, very good, um, very effective missionaries when they were working under people. 
problems started to come about as they were given a lot more independence in another home where it was difficult to supervise. Um, and many of those problems were especially financial that because of being a not-for-profit organization, we are required to uh, keep very good tabs on our finances. And um, that was not one of Luis's strengths. And so that, that was removed from him as a, a part of his job. But they uh, did not really feel it necessary to submit to us on our authority on any of these financial issues. And uh, there was somewhat a lack of uh, transparency and, and working with leadership because he was just an administrator there but the board of directors and the director was in entry heos who at the end of the day had all of the responsibility for the children there so we were forced to close that home which was uh, I will put that in my top 10 list of most difficult things that I have done in my life it was a very very stressful uh, situation for me personally because I, I went and stayed there for about three days um, after we had uh, closed that to kind of uh, keep security and make sure that everything was going well and uh, it was there's nothing easy about taking people who have you know friends of people there Victoria worked alongside of them for many many years people who were friends of theirs and they knew them very, very well and watched their kids grow up. There's nothing uh, fun or exciting about having to uh, let people like that go. It was very difficult. And me, who had been there less than a year, and I'm going to make a call against somebody who has been very, very established. That was a... Uh, extremely difficult situation for me and has continued to be an extremely difficult situation for me but we have to focus on what are, what are we going to do in the future with CLM Tourville and our goal is to train up a staff and reopen within a year is what I was always saying I was hoping for it to be within a year um, but we we had problems the first time and we had to take drastic measures to fix those um, we can't do that again so we need to make sure that we get it right as well we cannot make a, um, in with good intentions of uh, reopening quickly we cannot make mistakes that would uh, cause us to have to take the same measure again so um, And, uh, but if we are going to open that tour vote, we do need more missionaries. We, we do not have the staff. We barely have the staff right now to uh, run entry HEOs as um, much less tour vote. We do need uh, monthly support. We did, uh, you know, you probably saw it in the prayer warrior letter if anybody reads that, but we had, we had a lot of ups and downs in our support this year and basically I, I one of the first positions I was given upon arriving there was I was given control of the finances and I started digging into that and um, 
kind of got a rough beginning because in uh, it, it started off in November by receiving an email from the committee saying uh, due to low support this month and uh, low uh, funding in your reserve fund we don't have any money to send you this month um, the, the total donations that month had been something like two thousand dollars and we had one thousand five hundred in our reserve fund which our reserve fund is usually supposed to have about three months uh, support inside of that in our and uh, so that was about my third second or third month into the finances and that was the letter I got yeah Correct. Um, the way that it's established, or, or the system that's put in place for CLM, is that regardless how many donations you send, we receive this certain amount. If there is extra, it is placed into a reserve fund. The goal is to always have three months reserve in that fund to pull on for the months that are low, because uh, funding is very unpredictable. You know, summer months are usually very low. Obviously, December and January are usually very high. And so it's supposed to kind of take the peaks and valleys out of that. Uh, well, so what happened there was that I received a notice that we didn't have enough funding in our reserve fund or in our uh, or in our monthly donations to be able to meet that. Yes. The our our monthly budget for two homes is uh, fourteen thousand five hundred dollars. That's for both homes, which actually that comes out to around that is our American budget. We also have other projects that we receive from the from Brazil, and we do have uh, <clears throat> crops that we raise, and that helps to take out some of that as well. And we try to manage that. <clears throat> um, so the total working budget for both homes is around thirty thousand hayes a month. That is. I believe very reasonable. That's outside of the missionaries that we, uh, who have their own support. It's very reasonable. Um, I, I feel comfortable with that because in Nepomuceno, I know that their monthly budget is twenty-five thousand hayes a month for one home. So I felt like at, at thirty thousand for one uh, for two homes, we were we were being very reasonable within that. We do what we can to reduce those costs. Victoria knows that because. She was in charge of the kitchen and <laughs> lowered our kitchen uh, cost very much. So the, what happened is we get a letter that says that we had no support whatsoever. And we did have some money and some savings from special projects and things. And we just pulled that together for that month, asked people to, uh, for that, let people know there was a need. And people answered very, very clearly to that. And within two months, we had three months reserve in our account again. We had met our need, and we had three months reserve in our account. And we were doing very, very well. Then we hit the summer months, and now we're back down to one month reserve. So this uh, last week, if anybody got the prayer letter, the notice a thing in there where Mary was saying uh, that we are low on funding again. That is not actually the same as when we said it in November. When we said it in November, it was, we have nothing. When we said it now, what it means is that if we don't mention this now in about two months, we will have nothing. So it is, uh, it, it, um, 
I know that some people have been concerned about that, that that was a, you know, uh, I don't ever, I, I believe that we need to do our best to work within a working budget. When you establish a working budget, we need to be good stewards within that budget. So I don't ever want to be the boy crying wolf which is what can happen. You, you, you exhaust your funds, then you ask for more and all that. So that was not what that is. The, the, uh, this, re this letting people know that there was a need is actually saying, okay, we are trying to work within our, our budget, within these principles, and this is where we are at, and just trying to communicate what our needs are very well. Mm -hmm. Correct. Well, we... The exchange rate, I believe when they originally established the first budget, which was around, I think, it was what? Yeah, it was over two hayes uh, for every dollar. And I think the, uh, the one that was established, I'm sorry, the new budget isn't 14000 16500 The one that was established three years ago was 13500 And we worked on that budget for... Uh, two and a half or three years, even though the currency went from over two to one down to basically one and a half to one. So uh, we lost a lot of our monthly budget based on that, because based on dollars, not on hands. Um, because of that, at the beginning of last year, and uh, or, or this year, and my coupled with my desire to make sure that we had all of our workers legal, I requested a $3,000 uh, raise to the missionary committee, which for the most part was to account for inflation. It was, uh, I think, the majority part of that. And then within that budget, uh, with what we're receiving now, I think that we can function very effectively. I believe that what we have now is a, a very reasonable budget, and uh, even with the current exchange rate, all we need to do now is make sure we are actually able to maintain that. Yes, Gary. That's going to depend a lot on vision. You know, the the, the uh, structure itself is built for 35 kids each, but we cannot overextend ourselves and what we're able to take care of. So obviously staffing has to play a huge factor in what that capacity is. So I, ideally, probably 25 to 30 in each home with a full staff. But we're, we're not anywhere near the full staff right now. So what is kind of the ratio of staff to children, in kind of, which is considered ideal? <laughs> That's a very difficult question because we have about five different opinions of what that would be even within our own staff. Um, personally, what I would like to see, um, and this is based on that we, you basically, each child, you know, who, how many would you a be able to adequately supervise? I believe about six to one would be correct. However, because not all the people are working all the time, you have to go to an, uh, a ratio much lower than that, because if you go to six to one, you're going to end up with mass, mass crowds and 
not enough people to supervise them. You also have to define the positions of the people working there because not everybody is in direct child care. I, you know, somebody is working in finances, you cannot necessarily bring in more kids because they're there because they really have absolutely nothing to do with the care of the kids. So I believe that the number that we, I would like to shoot for in the future would be closer to three to one, but I don't, I don't know for sure. That'd be three to a child care worker. But like I said, that, that's a very dangerous question. We have a lot of, a lot of disagreement within the staff on that. And then what, what do you do with the mothers who have babies and only work four hours or three hours or they, they you know, when they, we had, we had three mothers with maternity leave at one time. <laughs> so that kind of uh, uh, changes the scenario. And so we, I, I believe we need, for security purposes, we need to be conservative in that. We can't just put tons and tons on top of them and then think that it's going to be taken care of well. We're at 37 right now. And that, that 37 was the result of bringing 16 kids in a two-week period. That's not a fun experience. No. It is a very... Uh, every, everybody is going through that right now. We're still fighting the repercussions of that. It, it was necessary. The, the first five kids that we took on, although um, I was part of the decision to bring them on, and even though we knew there was a possibility we'd be facing the Torvo shutdown, and there are people who disagree with me on that. I believe that that was the right move to make because at that point, the judge had said, this is what I want you to focus on. Here's five kids that fit that. Are you on board? So I believe that that step to take those five was proof to the judge that we were on board with his plan. So, you know, there's more to meet than just that. He's, we, we are, there, there's, you know, tons and tons of different kids who have needs. We've narrowed it down that we want to focus on these. And he said, here they are. <laughs> so I didn't feel that in that situation with 21 kids at the time and five kids that fit absolutely perfectly what we stated as our objective, that we were in a position to turn them down. But two weeks later, we brought over another 11 from uh, from Tourville, and uh, one of those was pregnant, and that resulted in another baby about two months later. So, what we want to focus on at CLM, and what the judge has asked us specifically to focus on, is long-term kids who don't have potential for adoption or foster care. So kids who are really going to be locked in this institution. The Brazilian government is, especially in the state of Padana, is starting on the track towards foster care. It's getting going right now. It just got legalized this year. They're trying to find people to start going that direction. But a group of five kids would be very difficult to place in foster care. So that's uh, what we want to focus on long-term kids who will be with us for many, many years. Might be good uh, just to give a relative comparison to at least what I know here in Canada um, is uh, for those working in homes um, where we volunteer for a time, the cost per child there is somewhere between 150 to 300 dollars per day. 
and that is um, you know, because most of these kids are special needs. They're yeah. not the average kids like you know most of us have in our family. Where you know if we have five, six, seven of them, they're you know they're, they're sometimes they have special needs, but for the most part, they've been brought up in a family and know how to behave in a family. As opposed to what we found in the Canadian uh, organizations, there is that uh, the cost there was because of the treatments and the the ratio between uh, the staff and the kids because of those special needs that made it that expensive. I mean, initially it just blew me away. It's like wow. <laughs> And so, in that sense, uh, it's very expensive here in North America for something even remotely close to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why would the children not uh, qualify for adoption? Like, what would be the, the rules around that? Um, well, they're moving away from this, but until recently, the uh, Brazilian government really focused on keeping sibling groups together. And so a group of five siblings would not be allowed to be separated. Um, And the success rate for adopting out sibling groups of three plus is very, very low. Um, In in my home church, there was a family adopted two groups of five siblings from CLM. The reason why it was so easy for them to adopt them as an American, because it's very, very difficult for an American to adopt within Brazil. The Brazilian government makes international adoptions all but impossible. But the reason why it, they were able to do that was because the impossibility of them being adopted within Brazil. For, for When a child comes up for adoption, first the parents' rights have to be removed from the child, which for years took years and years and years to happen. Now they have a new law that says that they have to be, within two years, they have to take a position on it. The judge either has to send them back to their parents or has to remove their rights. And that has to be done within a two-year period. Because there's a law there that says that a child is not allowed to spend his uh, entire life within an institution. And they define that. They do not want kids spending more than two years within an institution unless there's no other possibility. So first for them to be available for adoption, the judge has to remove the rights. After that, they go up for Brazilian adoption. If there are no Brazilians interested, they go up for foreigners living within Brazil. If there is nobody interested as of yet, then they go onto the list for Brazilians living abroad. At that point, if nobody uh, has any interest in them, then they go to international adoption. So this whole process takes a long time, and each step, you know, if, if you wanted to say, oh, I'd like to adopt that cute little girl from Ceylon, you probably couldn't do it. <laughs> it would, uh, they, it would, they would, she would go to a Brazilian probably first. But the, uh, uh, certainly the large sibling groups do not get adopted very quickly within Brazil. Um, and only had a couple cases of that outside of Brazil, but it has happened. So, And uh, about what Gary was saying there, that the, the kids that we are dealing with, because of the lack of a family structure of any sort, uh, what, what happens in your family is you, you raise up a child, and you train him to respect your leadership and your authority and all of these different things. And then when you have another child, they start to somewhat follow the example of their 
elder sibling, even though that is not uh, always the case, and obviously you deal with problems within a regular family. With the kids that we're dealing with, because they don't have a family structure at all, you're not dealing with peer pressure towards them obeying or respecting authority at all. They, they really have no respect for authority, and so you have to place that in them. Well, that's very, very difficult to do if you're dealing with 10 kids at one time. It may be possible to do that if you did it over an extended period of time where you brought in a limited number of kids, you provided a certain structure when you felt like they were responding to that, then you brought in more, and slowly the, the peer pressure within the group becomes one of uh, pressure towards submitting to authority and not one of rebellion. But you, you certainly can't get that from bringing in 16 kids in two weeks. I will, <laughs> I will tell you that much, that it was, it was very difficult, and uh, we're all paying the price for that. It's been very, very difficult. Okay. I'm sure there's lots of things you're not aware of, but would it not be possible for Lisa and me to work under supervision at Tentry as anyone? That is exactly what we asked them to do. We did on that day. We we said these are the issues that we are we have as a problem here that we would like to deal with, and these are not personal issues against you. Rather, you as an administrator. I do not believe that you have the correct uh, gifts and qualities to be the administrator here anymore. And at that point, we offered them a position working under us over at Entrehius. He did not accept that position, but that was offered. He was offered a maintenance type of position, which he does extremely well. Anything physical, he is very, very, very good at, and he is very good at working with the older boys. Uh, and Nini was offered a position managing the kitchen and somewhat what Victoria was already doing because Victoria was leaving, and so we were asking her to consider doing that. And that neither of them accepted that. So um, I guess that was a possibility, but at this point is not. Uh, the last thing on that was the Brazilian Missionary Fund. Um, what, what that was was uh, you saw the goulash that we did up there. Uh, what we were trying to, we, we struggle a lot there. How do you, how do we meet the laws of the, the Brazilian government as to how we treat Brazilian workers and uh, find support for them because the Brazilian structure is very different than here and it's difficult for them to find support. How can we bring somewhat of a balance between the Brazilians and the Americans and do it in a legal way? Because uh, in the past, we haven't necessarily done it. We haven't crossed all the T's and dotted all the I's with the Brazilian government and that we have a mess with Luisa and Nina because of that because they were not registered correctly over the last 12 years. Um, I don't want that. I mean, I want every single worker registered perfectly with the Brazilian government. So we have to find a way to work within the Brazilian system. But that's very expensive. How do, how do we do that? And how do we distinguish them as being missionaries or uh, team members and not just normal employees? What differentiates them from that? Well, an idea that we are coming up with to try and do that was that we would register them for, us, for the salaries. We would go through everything correctly, but they would be required to do presentations 
or speak in churches uh, three times a year, similar to what American missionaries have to do. That American missionaries have to generate all their own support. In this case, we would go through and we'd funnel it through the ministry so that it would all be completely legal, but they would be responsible for going after many of those donations. And uh, what we were going to do was to create a fund or a bank account where the goal is that sometime in the future all Brazilian team members or child care workers, that their, their salaries would be paid out of that account and not out of the general fund. We're not anywhere close to that now, but that's what that goulash was, was that Fabio and Edit, as their first thing that they did, since she's Hungarian and goulash is a big thing, they did a goulash and they sold tickets around the community for 10 hands a piece or 15? 15 hands a piece. And they raised, uh, see, they gave, out, they gave out tickets to people who had contributed to us uh, with uh, their federal income tax, which is another uh, grant thing where people can designate up to 6% of their federal income tax to a not-for-profit of their choice. So Brazilians are doing that a lot. We, we received quite a bit of money through that this year. But um, we, we gave out tickets to anybody who contributed in that way. Um, but outside of those ones that were given out, they made around $1,600. Or, uh, hey, I, sorry, 1,600 hey, eyes. Um, if they had, had sold all of the tickets rather than give them away, they would have made closer to 3,000 hey, eyes. So it's for a one day thing. That was just kind of a culturally relevant type of a way that they were stepping out to try and be responsible for part of their own funding. We have a long ways to go with this if, before we ever get to a point that mission, uh, Brazilians are completely supported by this fund. However, it is a fund that if people, uh, and, and we were doing that with Luis and Nina as well, that they received a lot of donations. So then rather, the previous thing was that we would give them a certain amount. We weren't registered legally, but then they received their donations on top of it. So in a sense, they received a lot of donations, but didn't we didn't get the recognition for going through the proper channels. In this case, we were going to take all their donations, all their donations would go through this fund, and then their salaries would be paid from those donations. So we'd get recognition that we had followed the legal system, all the taxes were paid, all those sorts of things, and they would still get the benefit of receiving donations and generating support. So. Um, and so the, that was at the point where Luisa and Nina, the, when I registered them legally, all of their donations were going to go through that system and then they were going to be paid appropriate salaries using whatever money. And then we would have to come up with the additional funding because it would it'd be more than what they received in donations through the general fund. But the goal is that later, eventually someday, that they would receive all of their funding through these donations. They continue to need clothes, although I don't know what the shipping is, but with all the people always traveling down there, it's always good to load them up before they come uh, with uh, about 70 pounds in each bag. <laughs> and then uh, As you see in there, it's, they put those pictures there that's really cold because 
people think for some reason we're all warm down there. It's, it gets pretty cold in that area, and so we constantly need warm clothes and blankets. So basically, when Bethany was making this, oops, uh, she asked, what did I want to focus on when I was speaking? And I said, I want to focus on everything being new. <laughs> I want to focus on it being new, you know, uh, because everything is new, so we might as well talk about that. Basically, with the team we have right now, with Victoria leaving now, the only person who is, has been there more than, how long has Bethany been there, three years or four Four and a half. Okay. Bethany would be the, the next person down from Mary at four and a half years. The rest of us have all arrived basically within the last two and a half years. And it's been there longer, but she left. And then Fabio has not been there that long at all. So, and, and Jake has been there, was there before, but then he left and is back with Amanda now. Um, so it's a very, very, very new team. And that brings about a certain amount of this disorganization and <laughs> all the things that go with that. But I believe that we have an opportunity to really make something great of that team as well. It's very different. We can't completely focus on the, uh, the old because all these members are very different from other members. And we need to uh, see what is it that, how are they best going to fit into uh, this ministry. Um, and so we have that that we need. We need to construct the, this new missionary team. We need clearly defined positions for these people um, uh, and also for a team for Tourville. Um, the uh, changes in the Brazilian laws that I talked about, the foster families that were recently authorized, that changes how we're going to work dramatically. The, um, it, it gives it gives us an opportunity to do what I guess we always really wanted to do was to focus on those kids that weren't eligible for adoption. But this, but the question was always, okay, where do all the other kids go? Well, this is the goal. The goal is that if they're if they're eligible for anything else, that they would be going into that, and we would get the kids that really didn't have anywhere else to go. So um, uh, that's it's moving very slowly. They're they. They're starting that, and from what I understand, I've had very little progress in finding foster families at all, but um, I believe that will be the future of Brazilian child care ministries. Um, then uh, the judge seeing CLM is a good place for kids who will stay long term, uh, older kids and groups. The older kids, CLM has never dealt with older kids. We, uh, our says in our bylaws, we don't accept kids under. 10, over 10? Over 10. The reason for that is because over 10, they come with a lot of other baggage. Uh, come with uh, experience in prostitution, drug addictions, all sorts of things. And we are not equipped to deal with those problems. Um, so that is why specifically we have not focused on older kids. Yes? Now, we, we, we teach them thereafter that, but we don't accept them uh, above that age. Uh, at around 18, they need to either 
take a position on life. So there are kids who go into CLM Plus and they go to college and find jobs and people, many people here have helped them to go through college and become successful. Or they, uh, if they, they could possibly look for a job somewhere or find a technical course and we might get, help give them a start by helping to pay part of their rent or something to give them a start until they can get on their feet. But at 18, they really need to be taking a position. They need to have some idea that they're going in a direction, whether it's a career or whether it's more education or something. They need to be doing something. And, um, so the opportunity is there for them to be involved after 18, but they need to show dedication. Some of them, the children from Ceylon, want to take on responsibility at, at the home, like to want to work there. Yes, there are uh, people who have grown up at Ceylon who work there. Our secretary grew up at CLM, Marilda. Um, there, there have been other people who have worked at CLM at different times who did grow up there. Or even, even Louise, um, who many of you know, who is the administrator in Tourville, actually grew up with, uh, at the Nepomuceno Boys Orphanage. And uh, grew up with, uh, uh, when, when uh, Art Herring went and started CLM with boys from, the C uh, from Nepomuceno back in 1973, Louise was one of the original boys who actually went there with him because the CLM was originally founded with like five or six boys from Nepomuceno by Art and Inga Herring. And Louise was one of those boys. But, um, so. okay. Um, and then she said, you know, a new vision for Tourvo here. You're kicking around different ideas. What is it? Maybe now would be a time to change to a different focus. And we don't know if we will or not. But it was like, well, you know, we've never focused on older kids. Could we do that? I don't think that with the staff that we have right now, you need a specialized staff that's, you know, you're going to need to be able to deal with bigger problems, with possible drug addictions and all, all different things like that. It's a different type of a, a place. But I, now is the time to be thinking about these things and saying, okay, is there a different type of a direction we would want to go with it, or do we just want to go how we always have been? Okay. Um, any other questions that anybody had? Anything about Turvo that was that all explained well enough? Or how is that maintained, Turvo? Is the building locked up, or who secures it? Who takes care of the animals, the swimming pool, the, the facility itself? It's about a half a million bucks there, right? Yeah, we have a, uh, we still have employees there. Our farmer and the cook, her husband and wife, are taking care of the place for us. And they go there every day. There's, there, Louise is still living at the site. He still has stuff there. We, we've put in our warnings, but we're in the middle of that. As soon as he leaves, the goal is to have somebody living on site to help take care of it. We, we, we can't just walk away and leave a building, sit there like that. So even with it closed, there's significant expense involved in just protecting our investment. So, um, yep. uh, you had another question? 
Yes, it is. The, the, the Turbo Church plant, maybe in many Brazilians' eyes, isn't successful, but in my eyes is very, very, very successful. On any given night, they can have between 30 and 50 kids in that thing. Um, it's, for one reason or another, they are very, they're attracting children from the community very well. There's not very many adults. There's probably only six or seven adults in there, but the, uh, as long as the, uh, the uh, Brazilian church authorities will allow that and not try to push them, because children don't contribute very much to the, uh, to the financial area, which is always their goal is to see a church be self-sustained. Well, they're not going to get there very quickly with kids, but I really hope that they will allow them to focus on that because it is a very successful ministry. They, they have a tremendous amount of children who go there. And, and when we did a children's day party out at the uh, Torval building, there was, I took four or five combi loads of kids out there who came from the church. So th there may have been 50 to 60 children plus who went there that day. They're, they're, they're reaching a humongous number of children. So, okay. How far is on Turbo and Turbo? How far are they apart? What company? 80 kilometers. It's about an hour, hour and 15 minutes. It's a pretty decent drive. It's financially, though, the area. Entry, see elementary heels, or the, the area of entry heels, in, uh, the, if, is part of the uh, municipal district of Guadapuava. The city of Guadapuava has 150,000 people in it, something like that. Um, entry heels has 15,000 people in it, and last year, entry heels paid 60% of the income tax for the entire municipal district. So, Entry Hios is a very, there's a, it's a German colony, five different German colonies there, and they are very good businessmen. And the, the German co-op there is very, very successful. Um, it is, was successful enough that it was planned for the president of Brazil to make a visit to the colony at one time. I don't know if that ever, did that happen? They made changes for it to happen. So it's a very different type of an area. Turvo is a very, very Brazilian city. It's, a, it's impoverished. It's uh, yeah. Anybody in that city, for the most part, has any substantial wealth does not actually live in that city. They live in Guadapuava itself. So it's a very poor community. Um, it's a small, kind of a backwoods, small town type of a place. <coughs> Extremely different uh, condition than in Trujillo's. Okay? Um, I, I wish I knew. <laughs> um, we are, we're trying to, we, we had given him a warning. What we, what we gave to Louise was 30 days vacation to think about accepting her offer. After that 30 days, he had to make a decision. At that point, he 
had 30 days to move. We really want him to have 15, but legally you have to give 30. That means that he either needed to move to Entry Hughes to become a part of that staff, and we need to be working towards that, or he needed to move somewhere else, depending on what his decision was. He just passed his 30 days. And so now we're going to have to make decisions what we are going to do. And once again, we're probably going to be faced with situations that I'm not comfortable with and are very difficult to deal with. And how do we do, how do, we do this biblically? What, what do we do? So it's, not, it's, a very, it's a complicated situation. Decisions. Do you have to work with the missionary committee, or, or is this left up to you and Mary? We have to, we have to work with the missionary committee in some sense, but because the the committee is so far away, it is very difficult for them to uh, have much concept of what is actually going on there. Um, in fact, that was one of the things that was in my job description when I went was that they wanted me to be responsible for all communication with the committee because they would hear things from so many different point of views that they just had no idea what was going on. So finally they're like, okay, we'll just send one person there and we'll listen to whatever he says. We'll send somebody there who doesn't know what, who, who hasn't been there, doesn't have a, a past, you know, and, and then whatever he says, we'll just accept that, which is a pretty weighty uh, responsibility, but that's, that's, one of the ways they were trying to re respond to that, the fact that there is 6,000 miles in the middle of the two places and that they do have five different opinions of everything that happens and they're trying to sort through that and really figure out what is, what is going on. So I, I, I try to explain things as well as I can to the committee. But usually at the end, they end up trusting us in what we're going to do with that. So... Do you have help from the local Brazilian church leadership in dealing with these sensitive issues? Oh, not really. Um, I mean, both, in both cases with this, both of the, the local uh, Brazilian pastors had really wanted to kind of keep peace on both sides so they didn't want to be in the middle of it. You know, they wanted to go to church with us and still be on good terms with them. So uh, they were not very involved in that. However, if this, if it comes to a point, which it could, where they were to start bringing any sort of lawsuit against us, which they may do, I would call on the Brazilian pastors to, because they are still attending that church, and I would call on them to try and straighten that out. Um, I've already spoken with some of the pastors in Sao Paulo with the association who have the, you know, the leadership over that and have asked them at times to speak to them about that and to try and use them to take out anything that would possibly, in my mind, be unbiblical. But From what I gather, you did not acknowledge the error of the way. Correct. That was that, that has been the issue. We were hoping that through this, that 
whether they were right or wrong on all things. They may, you know, maybe they were only wrong on some of the things, that they would come and acknowledge what they were wrong on and that we could have restitution. And that was always our goal, and I believe that was always, that was always my goal, always my heart's desire, was that we, we wanted... We wanted to see Louise and Anina be the same people they were six years ago that functioned very well as missionaries and that the same people that, uh, that everybody loved working with. And that, was the, that really was the goal. But it has not gotten, it has not happened yet. Um, at this point, I believe Mary is going to be going after that even more because she has a longer-lasting friendship with them than I do and will be going to them attempting even more to, in some ways, Mary had allowed me to deal with this, but I don't have the same relationship with Louise and Anina that she does. And so I'm hoping that her as their friend will be able to bring reconciliation among us. That doesn't mean that <laughs> everything will be straightened out, but we certainly, do. I do not want things the way that they are now. And that's another bit of desire. Yep. <laughs> Sorry. Enough. Uh, uh, I need to give more time to Victoria. Yeah, um, what I was trying to bring here, some information, especially for young people, what I really may, wish would be more people here. Because uh, also you heard from comments from the camp and from Kevin that I am at the phase to close my 18 years old experience at CLM. And I just really feel like I would like to share and put information for other generation to join to the new generation of missionaries at CLM. And I brought some, just some pictures of seeing the cultural differences you would get to the new country, new flavors, new food, new type of uh, thinking, a lot of uh, beautiful and tasty fruit. So when, when somebody is called by God to leave your comfort zone, for sure get prepared to see something different. Don't expect to be American. Don't expect to be on the same way you lived. But be flexible and see how much God prepared for you and what you have inside of you, what God can bring out in new situations. These are the Indians of Parana State. <laughs> and uh, very common to meet with them on the side of the road. They are try trying to sell something handmade on the way south or the way to Fosiguasu. Uh, beside the past, you will meet on the side of the road also the biggest uh, dam in the world, Itaipu. We like to take uh, uh, short-termers there to see a little bit of uh, the different things or different cultures. And beside uh, Itaipu, there is the other beautiful site of the Iguazu Falls. I had the pleasure to take uh, <laughs> Gary and his friends when he was there and many of the people who came. It's part of the experience, part of coming out from your country. You will hear different languages, and especially this place is full with tourists always. And I think in the 18 years I went about over 30 times, but I never got tired of it. I could go anytime. <laughs> I just love it. You feel the power of God so much. Uh, and just thinking about for God, it was just a drop <laughs> creating this uh, waterfall. So. These are some pictures of Paraná State. The, where we live in the south is not a tropical Brazil. It's very different, as you saw the first picture, too. This is the port, uh, Paranagua, the city, oldest city of Paraná uh, State, and also very colorful, very remarkable. We like to take also short-termers just to see part of the 
culture and that uh, enormous ships are loaded and coming in and going out from this place. Thinking back of my 18 years, thinking back of the differences and the newness I met there when I lived there, today I just say every moment was wonderful. Challenging, it really challenges you to see a different, totally different ways what, ex, what was used to it, especially I'm coming from a German family from Europe. I was so <laughs> boxed and squared up in, in things. So I have learned a lot. And uh, yes, Brazilian culture has a lot to offer too. Many times I think about the, the laid back ways, how people can be satisfied with little, how much they can bring out just to enjoy life from that what they have and not worried about what they don't have. It can be very, very positive comparing to what sometimes we get caught up with and try to always resolve and, and win and gain. <laughs> this, bird, this bird was actually, this picture was taken at Turvo. The, the Turvo building is in a beautiful uh, area, the woods of Parana. And then here the kids are picking the pignon. The Parana, Parana pine tree has its seed. And then once they get these balls off from the tree, it could be taken apart and the seeds is like edible. So we cook them or roast them. So this group of young men went out after Easter program to the woods and picked some of the CLM boys together with them. So these are just really pictures to feel about the culture, <laughs> feel the difference. <laughs> I just really think uh, I had an opportunity to say goodbye for the church in Entre Hills. And uh, I was thinking very much, what can I say in a short time about the 18 years I spent there? And I think again now that I have more people I could call friends who know CL CLM came down or related to somebody who is there that... Uh, as much as I thought I will give, I think I double or many times gained just by being obedient to God. These pictures are taken at, uh, this winter. Do you you know, snow? not snow. This is a uh, frost. But uh, do we have the calendars? <laughs> but we, we had a. This is the rising sun just hitting the. We had a hailstorm. One point uh, last year, and the, the everything was covered white like snow. <laughs> you know, I would like to have just. So when you come in summer months from here <laughs> to Brazil, bring your winter coats and winter boots, <laughs> jackets. Get ready. Oh, this is an overview of the farm. The, uh, yeah, it was done. And uh, basically how we got, this was the last picture. The, some of my friends went up, doctors from the colony and the balloon, and they took this picture for us. But really, uh, some of you who were there, maybe you can visit. We live on a highland, and because of the altitude is that we get so much cold, not only because of the distance from the Ecuador. This is the main road to come down, and the main house. This is the farm. And then missionary homes, garage, Kevin's house is someplace here, and Jacob Amanda lives out there. 
So we have a, a lake and a swimming hole and some other tanks for fish. And then Senor Jaco, who had the, was the owner of the land, he also made some fish tanks there. So we have a lot of water the at the woods. Yeah, this is, this is where the kids swim. This is a pool, like a swimming hole. Uh, the water comes, we had a font here, and the water comes under the road and then fills up with water and then goes away in the big tank. There's a waterfall in the river. That the waterfall, yeah, it goes through here in, uh, in the road someplace. Wait, Kevin, help me. Here. <laughs> here. It goes, in, uh, goes out, and then this is the fall, the waterfall. And the river, the river comes from the village and then goes, continues to away. Going. Sorry? It's a pretty far walk to that river uh, and the waterfall. No, not much. A couple of minutes if we just come around here, come out here, come around. Oh, the big one, the Ego Sofal, is far away. But this is just a small. I think they're talking about the one in No, no, we have a waterfall. I don't have a picture of the fall itself, but it's like a three, five, three four minutes walk from the house. But we don't swim anymore there. Probably if you were there in a earlier... 91. 91. Yeah, yeah, the kids go still and this, the waterfall would be here. And this, this is like a pool in front of it. They used to swim there. But since uh, yeah, it's, we have that swimming hole, but it's half is, uh, has uh, bra uh, stone uh, concrete under it, so it's more comfortable and secure for the kids to... Swim then. Is what we do. That, that waterfall, you had the pleasure of taking a lot of leeches with you as you leave. Yes, <laughs> probably. <laughs> yeah, that water is not so clean. So uh, I just wanted to really uh, tell you that uh, this topic of this camp to turn to the Lord <laughs> just really helped me to help, helping me to reflect back of the main decision one day I did decided to turn to the Lord and, and give my life to be a missionary and, and see how much, uh, how true it is that we, once we give our lives, how, he can do so much of it. <laughs> if we keep our lives, we lose it, but if we can give it to God. And I know that with your support, with your prayers, with your interest, with your visits, you have done it. And I just want to really, in, I know that the new generation needs so much <laughs> your support just like I needed and uh, continually my plan is to look for God's, God's direction. I would like to be a missionary. I would like to serve him in, in a way he shows me, but I just felt, I got to the point I felt so tired of the serving of daily basis. 18 years I was in charge of, of always thinking ahead and providing for, uh, for uh, such a big group of people in different ways, for the smallest thing to the biggest basically in the house, and uh, I just felt that the flexibility is not there anymore, the creativity is not there anymore. In a way, uh, I could do my best, so I'm looking for finding my best of this age, of this experience I had, and continue serving and praising and glorifying God with uh, what I do. So please pray for me, even though I'm not there now, <laughs> because this is an important phase of my life too. I brought the calendars with me. Uh, this was one of my last projects I did at CLM. And if any of you representing churches here and would like to take some with you 
home or would like to have some, we would like to sell. This is also a little bit of a fund to <coughs> come back to CLM to be able to, to talk more or show for more people about our work at CLM. I think, uh, I don't know how much time we have. Probably we are done with our time. <laughs> close it here. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, I think the most important information, ongoing things Kevin passed on for you. And if any question you have in this week, we will be still here. <laughs> Personally, we can talk, we can answer your questions. Thank you. for sharing and thank you for those questions and so forth.